You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Hello, friends. I'm so glad you joined me today here on the podcast. Before we get into our conversation with our next guest, I just want to tell you about two really important things. First, uh, if you have not signed up for my newsletter, it's called One Little Word. I encourage you to do that. Uh, It comes out about every two weeks, and I have fresh content in there, usually kind of a take on something that's going on in the culture or maybe something I've learned from history or maybe uh, a nugget of wisdom or two about leadership. If that's uh, kind of your thing, I encourage you to join uh, the rest of us in our One Little Word community. I also share about upcoming projects that I'm working on and books I'm reading that are kind of in my book stack and some interesting things around the web that I've been paying attention to. So if if you'd like to do that, go to my website, danieldarling.com, sign up for One Little Word. Also, we're entering Christmas season, and for me, I don't think it's ever too early to celebrate Christmas, and especially this year in 2020. Uh, what a year we've been and how much we need Advent, how much we need to just sit, meditate, lament, and anticipate the coming of Jesus. I love Christmas. I don't know about you. It's my favorite time of year. Maybe this year is a harder one because there's people missing or you can't visit relatives because of COVID or of you lost loved ones. I hope you can find comfort and joy this Christmas season. And one of the ways that I hope that we can do that is with my book, The Characters of Christmas. Now, last year uh, it was released and I was really surprised at the response that people really across the country really resonated with it, churches even. And so if you would like something to do with your church or your small group or even yourself, I want to encourage you to uh, get The Characters of Christmas. This is a a book where I go through each of the, the kind of main people in this story, these really ordinary people like Mary and Joseph and and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon and these shepherds and wise men from the East and how do they get caught up in the greatest story of all time. I profile each of them and how they kind of point us toward Jesus. So I, I hope that you would check out this book, The Characters of Christmas. You can go to thecharacterofchristmas.com or to my website, danieldarling.com. We have a lot of free downloads that correspond with this. If you want to do this with your church or church group, we have study guides and things that you can do if you want to do a church campaign. So please visit thecharactersofchristmas.com and get uh, links to the Christmas book that I really enjoyed writing. It's also available at your favorite retailers. We have a great guest uh, lined up to talk to, Dr. Gene Getz. And chances are, if you have been a Christian for a long time, or even if you're a brand new Christian, you probably have heard or read a book by Dr. Gene Getz. He served as a professor at both Moody Bible Institute and Dallas Theological Seminary. He also is the kind of founder of the Fellowship Bible Church movement, churches and church planning around the country. He is now president of the Center for Church Renewal and uh, has been a faithful Bible teacher uh, for a long time. He is 88 years old, and I interviewed him, and he is as sharp as ever and excited about teaching the Bible. I had him on to talk about just his long years in ministry, what he's learned 
from when he started ministry to what ministry is like today, some advice he has for teaching and preaching the Bible, and to talk about a brand new resource that he has with B&H Publishers, the CSB Life Essentials Study Bible, which is a, a great resource that has basically life principles from the Bible in throughout the study Bible and also has a very, really cool multimedia component to it. You could use your phone and hover over a QR code and it pops up a video teaching from him. This is a great conversation uh, with a longtime faithful Bible teacher. Let's join our conversation with Dr. Gene Getz. Well, I'm glad to have on the Way Home podcast, Dr. Gene Getz. Thanks for joining me today uh, on the Way Home podcast. How are you doing? Hey, doing great, Daniel. So I take it that you're in... Texas, is that right? Yeah, Dallas, Texas, right. You're in Texas. Plano, to and, be exact. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how are you faring during this uh, whole interesting time of the coronavirus? Well, we're doing good. We're up and running, and we've been, thanks to technology, when we've been able to work at home and get things yeah. done. But, uh, boy, it's great to have my executive assistant right across the hall from me so we can communicate that way rather than uh, long distance. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I, I wanted to have you on here to talk about a number of things. You've had a, a just a, a wonderful, long ministry. And I wanted to start really kind of with this moment that we're in. You know, you've probably seen quite a few interesting moments and eras in your in your ministry. What what is 20? How does 2020 rank in terms of the one of the more tumultuous times that you've seen? Well, you know, your memory kind of fades. The one that really stands out for me was back in, what was it, 68, when they mm -hmm. had the riots in Chicago and the fires. And I remember walking down LaSalle Street on mm -hmm. one Saturday. I was going to go to a convention where I was supposed to speak. And I had no business being downtown Chicago because I saw guys going by with uh, machine guns that were set up on the back of their vehicles. And uh, it was a tumultuous time. Unfortunately, nothing happened to me, but I was kind of naive walking down the street in Chicago. Everything was shut down. The convention was canceled. But I just remember the row of fires, you know, as I was driving out towards Wheaton, Illinois. And that was the kind of thing that was very personal for me. Mm. The church right now is having to do ministry in the midst of both the coronavirus and, and being shut away from gathering and with, you know, people getting the virus and also uh, this moment we're in with racial reconciliation, racial justice issues that are uh, people are this conversation we're having in this country. How, how, what advice are you giving to pastors and church leaders uh, in the right now? Well, I think there's one priority that stands out, and Paul made it really clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that always in relationship to government, what's happening in culture, it says, first of all, Paul said, pray for all those in authority, for kings, and that happened to be Nero, who later took Paul's life. He had just gotten out of prison when he wrote that. Uh, that involves Herod, that he testified before he went into prison, it involves Festus and Felix, the governors, and Paul said, pray for them. 
And the reason to pray is that we might have peace and tranquility, which is God's will. And he goes on to say why. So that we'll have the environment in which we can proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. So I, I think uh, that's a very clear priority that even correlates with what we read in the Old Testament as well. When God made his promises to Israel, that if they would confess, God would heal them. And there he was talking about the land particularly, which was a promise to Israel. But the prayer theme runs right on into the New Testament, particularly. And so, um, you know, I'm thankful where I see uh, believers getting together interracially and praying that uh, this whole thing will be resolved and resolved peaceably. Changes be made that need to be made. But there be uh, an element of objectivity and as we try to ferret out all that's going on right now in our culture. Yeah, you're, you're the, I guess people could say you're one of the founders of the, the Fellowship Church movement, Bible teaching, always prioritized preaching and teaching the word. H- has pastoring and preaching, how, how has it changed from when you first began ministry to now in terms of what's expected of the pastor? You know, how do you preach in, in, a, in a way that you apply it to people's lives. What's different now versus when you started in ministry? Well, I guess there are two parts of that question. What's different for me or what's different generally? <laughs> yeah, Not much is different for me because I, I still am an expositor. I believe in taking people to the biblical text, explaining the text, but I also believe in applying the text to whatever cultural situation exists at that moment in history. And I think that's still being done. I think it's being done in different ways, different approaches, maybe more topically than uh, I might do in my preference for teaching. But God gives us freedom and form and presentation and communication. That's the beauty of scriptural principles. But I don't think that we have freedom in terms of, uh, of not teaching the word. I think we, we've got to teach the word and uh, we've got to apply the word in our particular situation and not back off from that. You think there's more of a hunger right now during moments like this for teaching and preaching the word than in other times? Or what are you sensing from people? I think so. Anytime you have this kind of insecurity, this kind of threat, this kind of, of uh, uncertainty that exists in our culture, you know, the, just the virus alone, that indicated, uh, I think, spiritual interest. For example, the church that I pastored up until 15 years ago, I started, as you know, a number of churches, but the one where I passed my baton, uh, Fellowship Bible Church North, which is now Chase Oaks Church. The interesting thing is that, uh, and my successor is doing a great job, but those that have joined online has increased substantially and equals more than our regular attendance. Mm. Now go figure. And I've heard that from other sources. That, that people are looking for spiritual input. And mm-hmm. I don't know how to evaluate that totally. I mean, it's kind of just a recent event here in terms of a couple of months, but that's what we've seen in our own situation. And that's what I've heard from some other pastors seeing that, that spiritual interest. Now, what happened in Minneapolis, that just added a whole new dimension mm-hmm. to the insecurity and, and what's going on in our society. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful to see what is happening in relationship to, um, you know, not just white churches, but black churches as well, 
you know, seeking the Lord. Um, I think we're going to get through all this emotionalism, which is understandable uh, in many respects right now. It's just a very emotional time just getting through this situation and, of course, then trying to work through all of this stuff objectively as a society. And that's why we need to really pray for our leaders, because you can see them floundering around, you know, trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do with, with what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your, you have a new Bible called the Life Principles Bible, which is is really great. I have a copy of it, you know, kind of contains a lot of your your teaching over the years. Why was it important for you to, to kind of put this project together? And what, what do you hope that uh, families and churches and leaders can learn from it? Dan, uh, I was invited to do it. Total surprise. 15 years ago, phone rings. I just passed my baton to my successor and I get a call from Robin and Holman. They just finished a brand new translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, Jane, would you take our brand new translation, do a principles live by study Bible from Genesis to Revelation? And uh, I, you know, because I was passing my baton as a senior leader, the primary pastor, I, I had to take a look at that. And and by the way, they said, you know, with everything you've written, we think you can do this in, in uh, a couple of years. Well, hello, <laughs> seven years later. Uh, it, it took actually, literally, Dan, it took me seven years, basically full time, because once I got into what they wanted me to do, starting with Genesis, verse by verse, you know, section by section, line by line, chapter by chapter, book by book, I knew that I couldn't borrow from anything I've written before. I could use it as a resource, but I needed to create something that's brand new with principles emerging from the text, with commentary that were adjusted to that particular passage. And it took seven years. And I, I didn't realize uh, what was going to happen because at the end, we have 1,500 principles to live by. They're embedded right in the biblical text. And a little commentary, about 500,000 words, by the way, that I wrote and that are embedded right in the biblical text. And that, that's unique in the sense that I wanted the principle to be right in the text so that people could see how that principle emerged from the text. You know, a lot of great study Bibles, and I've used, used them in this study, but most of them had sidebars or footnotes. But I wanted that principle right there in the middle of that text, right from the text, so people could connect it back and see, yes, this is a supercultural principle. This is an enduring truth, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, and then a a brief commentary. But the exciting thing, and this was a God thing, Dan, when we started the project, my tech guy just simply said, Jane, you've got to uh, videotape these presentations. Let's do high-level video. Just put it on the web. Because I knew that I had to research, write, and teach it to get feedback, keep me on track which I did for seven years. And by the way, I had a group of people stayed with me for seven years. It's absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. The th- here, here's, the, here's the miracle. When we started videotaping and putting them on the web, we didn't know that six years from then, here comes YouTube, here comes QR code technology. And the Bible's already laid out in Denmark, minus the QR codes. And they said, Jane, Jane, QR code technology, you got all these videos. Let's take them and edit them and get them all in line. And when the Bible comes off the press, we'll have 1,500 videos that people can access anywhere in the world. And it's, you know, have internet. So that was a God thing because there's no way I could have reproduced 
1500 principles that it took seven years to do. So, it, you know, God has chosen to use that in an amazing way because we literally hear from people all over the world. How do you, how do you like the CSB Bible? I I've come to really in, like it. I, I was love kind it. of a, I was kind of an ESV guy and I still like the ESV, but I've really come to love the CSB in terms of the readability, you know, the, the combination of accuracy and readability. Well, I, I love it. And uh, I, I always, for many years, you know, I've used different translations and teaching and I was using NIV, which I love, mm-hmm. but obviously it's more of a concept translation. So at times you'd have to really spell it out and say, okay, in the Greek text, <laughs> it's a little more literal. Here's what we have. Well, what Brahman Holm wanted to do was to have the, uh, the literal, a literal translation as much as possible. Uh, from the Greek and Hebrew text, uh, but, you know, modern English and leaning towards, you know, a literal translation. And I I had followed it because when it first came out, it was called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And of course, then the CSB is a an updated version. And so they had, you know, about 10 years to perfect it yeah. and then to correct it. And by the way, when we came out with our second edition, we had to go through my whole study Bible and align everything once again yeah. uh, with the, as I made quotations. But I, 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 I knew Ed Bloom, who was the original editor with a hundred scholars, uh, taught with him at Dallas, trusted him, trusted the team. And I've come to love it. I think I'm with you. I think it's, it's just super great. Yeah. So it's the Life Essentials Study Bible. It's a fantastic resource. And I want to encourage anyone listening to go get it. If you need a study, but I, I, I really highly recommend when, uh, whether you're a new believer or you've been walk with the Lord for a while, a study Bible can help you really kind of walk through scripture and understand things. So I encourage you to get, we'll have links in the show notes here. Before we continue our conversation, I want to just encourage you to uh, check out our friends at Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling has generously sponsored this episode of the Way Home Podcast. And one of the reasons I was excited to partner with them is because I believe so much in the value of good biblical counseling. In the last few years, I've really noticed the importance of counseling, both as a pastor who has to care for people at times, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. There's just times when all of us need to sit down and talk with someone who is skilled at kind of peeling back through the layers of our lives, both the spiritual and the physical and the places where we need clinical diagnosis and we need a, a, a biblical word from God. And sometimes those are, are kind of marbled in together in complex ways that we can't totally understand that someone outside of us can help us do that. I believe this is a really important thing. A lot of times we're afraid to go to counseling. There's a stigma that I don't want to be known as the kind of person who would need to get help. And really, we, sh- we shouldn't think that way because all of us uh, are fallen or broken, have needs that someone else that God uh, gifts in a certain way can help with. What's great about the model of faithful counseling is that it's completely confidential and it's completely online. And so if if you're like me and the kind of the stigma of getting up and going and talking to someone is, is a little bit too much of getting in your car and going to an office or a church, you can do this from the privacy of your home. You fill out a, an 
intake process and they match you up with a counselor that's suited to your needs. And if you happen to get a counselor that is just not working for you, you can easily exchange them at no cost. You have access to your counselor through text, through email, and other ways if you have a crisis in between sessions. So I want to encourage you to visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. And you will get a 10% discount off your first month's membership, which is, which is a really fantastic deal. So visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome and get a 10% discount off your first membership. I really want to encourage you, uh, if you are listening, you feel depressed, you have anxiety, or maybe you have some thorny relational issues in your family or at work or other places to go seek some help with our friends at faithfulcounseling.com slash way home. I want to pivot and ask you about, um, you're, you're president of the Center for Church Renewal you kind of launched the fellowship church movement. You've planted churches, and now your ministry is, you know, for church renewal. Um, what are the challenges that are facing churches today that maybe they weren't facing, you know, when you first began? And when you think about church renewal, revitalizing renewal, uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing churches really need to face uh, when they're in that situation? Well, I, I think we. One of the, if I could just bottom line it, I think we've got to really make sure that we, we're Bible-based, that we don't depart from the scriptures. And, and when we do, the scriptures gives us incredible freedom with the principles that we have that are super cultural to develop form and structure that's relevant for any moment in our society. I think we've gone through a phase where in some respects, we've, as even as evangelicals, we've tilted a little more towards culture and developing forms that sometimes you wonder whether these forms are really past the test in being the best forms to communicate the word of God today. You know, Paul said, uh, and here Paul really made it clear, I am free in every way to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he was never free in violating absolutes of scripture. And the method and the form that he always used was never in conflict with scripture, but was a means to communicate the word of God and the message of the gospel. And I think in some respects, we've gotten somewhat enamored with the Great Commission, which is absolutely place to begin in reaching people for Christ. And in some respects, have developed forms to reach people for Christ in our church system but we have neglected building the saints. And people have come to feel like they're hearing the same simple messages all the time and never having solid exposition of the scriptures. Now, again, God has given us freedom to help build believers. But the fact of the matter is, when we really structure a morning service to reach the unbeliever, we're gonna miss a lot of believers in terms of building their faith. And I think there've been some correctives, you know, that have come about in terms of, of that approach. So uh, I think we have to be very careful that we don't allow culture to influence the forms to the point where the forms really are questionable in terms of really 
carrying out the objectives of the church. That's a good word. Staying faithful to to what our mission is. You know, it's easy for us to get mission creep, it seems, even even as churches. You first uh, graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 1952. Here we are. Uh, you're, I believe you're 88 years old and you're, you're writing, you're speaking, you're teaching. It's just, it's just a great example for, for a lot of us uh, to continue to do ministry this in, into your 80s, almost 90. If you were to um, look back at your life and you were to say there's a, a secret to your longevity and staying power in ministry, what, what, what would it be? Well, I sometimes say it, it's mama's genes and God's grace. <laughs> yeah, my mama lived to be 98. Mm. Yeah, I, I can still see her at 90 on the farm in Indiana, uh, mowing five acres of land <laughs> and, uh, out there with a wheelbarrow and doing crazy things. And uh, But she lived to be 98. And uh, I had an aunt from my dad's side who lived to be 104. You know, so I feel like there's some genetics there, hopefully. But it's God's grace as well, as you know, you know, beyond that, what is the secret? I, you know, there are people that are not walking with the Lord that are 104. It's God's grace in that sense. I I just feel like right in the center of that is walking, doing what the Bible says that I should be doing by God's grace is walking in his will and doing his will and being available to do his will. Now I could add peripheral aspects. Uh, I've always been athletic. You know, I was helicopter skiing into my seventies uh, in Canada. <laughs> That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, and helicopter until, skiing. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm with my son. Um, I was an avid skier, racquetball player, volleyball player, played baseball, played basketball. You know, I've been active all my life physically until I had some back issues and I had to back off. So I, I think that certainly the Bible does say bodily exercise does profit. But godliness is profitable for all things. So I think staying healthy in that way is very, very important as well. Yeah, to health and longevity. But we're seeing, you know, in the last few years, and you've probably seen waves of this in your ministry of, unfortunately, of high-profile pastors and leaders, you know, falling into sin, getting removed from their ministries for various things, you know, leadership failures and uh, other things like that. Uh, and then here you are, you're, 88 years old and you're have stayed faithful and you're continuing to, to write and minister to people. When you look around the church and you see some of these things of, of leaders falling, what do you think is the reason for, for this? You think there's a, there's a more of a epidemic of it right now, or is it something that the church has always seen in every generation? What, uh, what are you thinking about when, when you see that? Well, I don't have any way to statistically measure it. I have not seen any studies on that. Um, I would I would simply have to say that I think we're seeing an increase uh, that it feels like an increase. But again, Mm -hmm. the fact is that, you know, have we have so many high profile individuals today that that we didn't have yesteryear. You know, you can go back, you know, to the 1900s and so forth. And you think of a James M. Gray or an R.A. Torrey or a Harry Ironside or some of these great leaders uh, in the faith. But today, think of all the high-profile people that are so well-known, churches, growth, opportunities, leadership. How do you measure that statistically, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, of how that, that compares? 
I think we've we've always been vulnerable. I think today we're more vulnerable because of pornography. I think pornography has had an incredible impact on men particularly, and particularly we, we see statistics about uh, pastors and uh, it's out there. It's just so available. It's, you know, the temptation is there and Satan has just tapped into something God has created within us, our sexuality, and then distorted it. And I think it's so easy for us to get sidetracked. And that can be the basis, I think, of eventually leading to unfaithfulness and the things that, that happen. So we have to just really be guarded in relationship to what we see, what we read, uh, and be accountable. You know, one of, one of the things in my own ministry over the years, I believe so firmly in, in eldership and the church where we have accountability. And we're leading together as a team of men and, our, and their wives, uh, leading together and, and being accountable to each other. Now, I quickly say, accountability doesn't guarantee, because you know, I've had men look right straight in my eye when I've confronted them. And I've said, do you have another woman in your life? And the guy looks back at me and he says, Gene, how could you ask that question? You know, right in my eyes. And what are you going to do with that? And then I find out later he's lying through his teeth. You know, I've had that experience. Now, I don't want to generalize. You know, think of the multitude of pastors out there that are faithful. But the fact is that uh, I've seen that happen and accountability. I think of another guy who's on my staff. And later I found out we had accountability partners and his partner told me later, and this guy was unfaithful, uh, that the guy who was not, who's accountability partner, said he came into the session and we had questions to ask each other. And the guy that eventually became unfaithful said, hey, we're big boys. We don't need to ask those questions. What do you do with that? All I'm saying is even accountability is no absolute in terms of, of uh, being faithful to the Lord. So having said that, wow, he that th think he stands, take heed lest he fall. Yeah. I think we all have great, to be on guard. Great advice. I think, yeah, the, when you look around and say, well, that, you know, how could they do that? Couldn't imagine myself doing that. That might be a, a moment where you're vulnerable. Perhaps the book that people know you the most for might be The Measure of a Man. And I'm curious when you think of manhood today and masculinity today and some of the conversations that are happening around that, what are some of the challenges you think men face today? Uh, are they different than when uh, you were a young man, different than when you wrote the book, number one. And number two, what are some of the challenges that you know Christian men face today? Well, I don't want to be redundant or repetitive, but I think in terms of the way you just asked that, in terms of men, it does go back to our moral commitments. And I think that's one reason why universally this is a problem that Paul, when he laid out the qualifications for spiritual leaders, which were not just qualifications for spiritual leaders, but for all men, as Paul was just saying to Titus and Timothy, if you're going to be a leader, make sure you're mature. And then after he said above reproach in both first Timothy and Titus, he said, a man of one woman is what it means, which is moral purity, because in the New Testament world, they have more than one woman in their life. And uh, he's not talking about husband, wife. He's talking about a man having one woman in his life, his wife. And in the New Testament world, the rich guys had a slave in the back room. and They had a prostitute down at the local temple. 
And Paul said, those women got to go. It's your wife and wife only, which in essence, bottom line, moral purity. And it's the top of the list. Why did Paul put it at the top of the list? Well, it's a universal problem. And, uh, you know, when I think of that, I, I always think in, in that particular chapter, I'm the measure of a man. You know, I use the illustration uh, in terms of the importance of developing uh, relationships with our wives. Uh, I, t- I tell the story. I've got it there in the book as I was, this is years ago. I was in Los Angeles. I was in ministry all day long and came back to the hotel and boy, right there on the deal was a ad that was designed to tempt you. All you do is push a button. Mm. What are you going to do with that? You're tired. You're exhausted. Well, I remember what I did that particular time. I picked up the phone, called my wife, and I said, sweetheart, why am I so tempted? And she said, well, Gene, that's easy to understand. You're a man. She wasn't giving me permission, but I developed such a relationship with her that we prayed that night. She prayed for me. She wasn't threatened by it. And I went to, I, I tell a story, I fell asleep. I, I had the Bible on my chest. I woke up, my Bible was on my chest. And it was kind of symbolic. But my point with that is that I think we need to develop a relationship with our wives where we can talk about our sexual needs, our sexual differences, and being able to communicate. And I often say to men, if I use that illustration, I say, now, don't do that with your wife unless you've built a proper relationship with your wife to be able to communicate at that level about Mm -hmm. sexual temptation. Because otherwise, it can be very, very threatening to a wife. And it was not threatening to my wife. She knew my heart. We communicated. And she was able to pray with me, pray through that. Now, that took a long time to develop that kind of relationship. And I think as men, we need to develop that kind of relationship uh, with our wives. That should be a goal. And that, 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 that takes time. It takes effort. It takes sensitivity. It takes context. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, no. it does make sense. Yeah, that's really great advice for men. I want to encourage folks listening to, uh, besides this Life Essentials Bible, to get The Measure of a Man if you've not read it, if you've not done it with your men's group. Uh, really, really important stuff. By the way, could I could I just say that, uh, you know, we have a website. As far as the Bible is concerned, of course, we have all my books available. But for the Life Essentials Study Bible, if they'll just simply go to BiblePrinciples.org which is our website, BiblePrinciples.org. And here, here's our goal. This has been our goal since the Bible came out. For every Bible that we sell through our ministry, we give one away. In other words, all profits go back into our ministry. And we've given thousands of Bibles away, particularly overseas. We just sent 300 to India. We sent 300 to Africa. But we don't just give them away. We have trainers who train them on how to use this technology. So if they purchase a Bible through our ministry, they're basically giving a Bible away, enabling us to do that. And of course, we have the measure of man available too. But in that sense, all the profits go back into our ministry. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that. That's such a wonderful resource. We'll put links to that. But uh, Dr. Gene Getz, so great to talk to you. Grateful for your ministry and uh, the long legacy that you have had uh, teaching and preaching the Bible. Uh, A lot of people around the world have benefited from it. And uh, thank you for taking some time here on the podcast. Well, thank you. Great to be with you.
you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Thank you.